0: Thank you for joining for another episode of the Tech Spective podcast. Uh, my guest for this episode is Adam Philpot from uh, McAfee. So Adam.
1: Great to be here, Tony, thanks for having me.
0: Um, let's start off with a little bit of your uh, background. Um, so I mean, I did, did a little bit of homework. So I know that uh, you are coming up on four years with McAfee, but previously you you uh spent uh, quite a long time uh with Cisco um so you know you 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 certainly have been around the networking side of things but uh, so you know give, give me a little bit of your background
1: absolutely right i uh, i joined cisco in australia i'm actually british i joined in australia uh, back in 2002 uh, where i did various roles uh, there uh, i moved with cisco to singapore in 2010 so i spent a few years in singapore as well and then uh, in 2013, end of 2012, moved to the UK to run uh, the uh, cyber business for Cisco, which was a fledgling business at that time, uh, largely put together through acquisition. And then uh, a few years after that, a couple of years, uh, the most notable acquisition of Sourcefire occurred, obviously, in the networking space on IPS. Uh, so uh, we really built out quite a strong architecture at that time uh, with Cisco. And then, uh, what was it, 2017, moved over to uh, to McAfee to, to build something special here.
0: And I, I've I've lost track of the timeline a little bit, but uh, how does that relate to sort of the roller coaster of McAfee going into Intel? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like yeah. where did you join the party? So, uh,
1: yeah, who owned them then? So that was uh, that was just after the Intel spin out. Uh, so TPG had just taken ownership. Literally, I think. You know, I, I wasn't here during the Intel days, uh, but it was literally a few months after the Intel spin out when TPG had taken ownership. Uh, so at the beginning of that journey, obviously, as you know, we, uh, we IPO'd uh, last year uh, in October as well. So been through quite an interesting journey with the company from that perspective. Okay. Yeah, it's got, the, it's, it's, it's got quite the history. Uh, it does indeed. It's been around a long time as a company as well. Lots of acquisitions, lots of organic, lots of owners. It's uh, yeah, a real, uh, really interesting history there.
0: Well, and 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 I and possibly a good sort of jumping off point a little bit because, so you know, in my early days in cybersecurity, when I was like ac- actually on the in the cybersecurity trenches side of things, mm. uh, you know, I started off. Um, joining a team at eds where we were providing um security services for customers like general motors and american airlines and what we were doing in 2002 2003 four five, uh was managed security uh you know managed endpoint security. it was like it was it was you know before it was cool mm. uh, and you know so we only had a team of five to 10 people. It was, it was less than 10, but we were, you know, overseeing and managing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of seats, you Mm. know, endpoint perspective. And the way we broke our teams down internally is, uh, everyone was expected to know enough about all of the products, semantic McAfee trend, micro NCA to, Fill in to jump jump across customers or whatever, but we had sort of designated uh, subject matter experts or whatever. Yeah. My my main focus uh, was Trend Micro, uh, but I was I was very familiar with McAfee as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll to say that you know back in the day, it was seen you know much in in the early two thousands. It was just antivirus. I mean that, yeah. that was that was signatures, least, yeah, and so. Fast forward 20 years and a lot has changed. And like we just talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. McAfee's been through a lot in terms of acquisitions and spinoffs and going public and and all of those different things. And along the way, along that journey, cybersecurity has changed and McAfee has had to, you know, adapt and evolve to change with it and and look beyond just antivirus. you know, so one of the things and and again this kind of connects the dots between your your networking background from Cisco and and where you're where you're at with McAfee one of the kind of up and coming you know hot trends in cybersecurity so to speak is zero trust and and, and zero trust network access and, and i know that's a a focus of yours so um just as a baseline let's start with can you explain or define Zero Trust and ZTNA, at least from the McAfee perspective?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's, it's a huge question in the context of the framing you've provided there as well, because uh, uh, let me get to Z, Z, you know, uh, Zero Trust, ZTNA in a bit let me first of all start with maybe the kind of higher level thing that we're trying to do you talked about evolution you talked about how the world has changed what we also didn't call things back in those days before endpoint was cool we didn't use the word digitization you know people were using technology but at that time we didn't call it digitization and now we do but in a sense that was the you know some perhaps some of the earlier times at which people started to digitize with obviously the internet 1.0 back then um, and so, you know, w- w- the way we've evolved over time is basically in line with the way our customers have evolved. If we if we don't understand how businesses are using technology to evolve, then we cannot secure them is they're exposed to risks throughout that evolution, right? And so, you know, we've seen a massive change in digitization in terms of the devices themselves, so the endpoints that are being protected, whether that's through personal devices, you know, the iPhone, which wasn't around back in the early 2000s, or IoT, for example, lots of diverse endpoints, but at the same time, the things and the ways in which those are connecting has changed phenomenally as well. Back in that time you mentioned, you know, we had inside and outside, you know, good and bad, trusted and untrusted. And that's when we start to think about zero trust, right? Inside and outside. And, you know, those binary decisions we were once able to make with perhaps the firewall is the gateway between good and bad worlds, right? Um, And so as as I think about it from a McAfee world, I I think about it in terms of our customers. How are they evolving? How is the dimensions of trust that that are upon them evolving? uh, And how do we help them with that as well? So that's really where we start to get into zero trust, which is you used to be able to prosecute Inside and outside, and then you saw next gen firewalls things were getting through on port 80 for the internet that weren't trusted, even though you were trusting the internet, which sounds weird. Uh, you know, so like the world has changed, and therefore the the the, the complexity of what you can and cannot trust has massively changed. That's kind of a foundation for zero trust. I, I would say ZCNA. Is very much a subset. It's a feature. I see a lot of organisations talking about zero trust, but they talk about it with just a feature view, as opposed to a more architectural uh, view on zero trust as well. So let me kind of pause there because there's still loads more of that. I think we can we can say there, but hopefully that gives some framing in the realms of digitization.
0: Yeah, it does, and 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 I think it's a, it's a very you know it's it's very a uh, valid point and good foundation to start from just how that, how the technology landscape has shifted over the course of 20 years. I mean, it's, 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 you know, uh, uh, completely different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and even at the time, you know, when I was, when I was, you know, working, uh, you know, with EDS and doing, you know, this managed antivirus, um, that was kind of the early days of, you know, people had, uh, you know, blackberries. That was, that was Mm -hmm. the hot thing. It was a, you we're one of the cool kids if you could get the get the Blackberry.
1: Yeah, and, I, I had a Palm Trio. I don't know if you remember those, but that was the kind of cool calculator-looking device back in those days. Yeah.
0: And so yeah, so you started having yeah the, the, the personal digital assistants. I had I had the so I had the Handspring.
1: I don't remember those. Well, it was the Hands.
0: I think it was the Handspring Trio, and I think Palm acquired them. Ah,
1: uh, there you go. Yeah, okay, there you go. Yes. Um.
0: In fact, I might still have it in my ad. <laughs>
1: That's a collector's item. Um,
0: but but you so you had that you have you know those types of things but you started to have uh laptops and it was you know the rise of you know uh wi-fi and you know wi-fi and cellular and all all of those things are game changers from a perspective of both productivity and, and convenience and then security and that and that's kind of you know one of the the Tricks of <laughs> of technology and security is that everything that makes your life easier and better also exposes you to risk. There, exactly. there, there, there's almost I can't think of a single instance where that that's not true on some level. <laughs> mm. um, and 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 so those things all all contributed to dissolving the idea of inside and outside and good and bad and 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 you know where we're at now. Mm. You know, I've been saying for years that um, You know people are still I, I'll, a lot of times looking for the bad guy. you know you're looking for the unauthorized access. You're looking for the you know the those types of things. and 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 first, I, I was always like, okay, well, looking at at failed login attempts and and is uh, is is great, but those are the ones you stopped. <laughs> It's like the ones you have to be concerned about are the ones that aren't getting logged as, as, as yeah, abs- the, the the patient ones, the hidden ones, right? And and at the point of compromise, at the point of attack, at the point of exfiltration, ninety nine out of a hundred attacks today are with valid credentials, you know. Mm. So, like it, it whether it's an a, a quote unquote inside attack or not from your perspective, it is, you know, for, as the, as the network admin, as the IT security admin. Um, and so you have to, you have to look at security differently. You have to look at, you know, cause you're not really looking for an outsider. What you're looking for is someone you trust doing something you don't think they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and that, that again, I think, I think kind of forms the foundation of zero trust and, and ZTNA, which is to say, look, where you know i i am i am giving adam a laptop and a mobile phone and you know and i'm giving you access to sensitive data and i'm i'm asking you to do these things uh in order to get your job done and i have to i have to give you some amount of trust i have to say yep. okay i trust adam to connect to these resources and mm-hmm. and do his job mm-hmm. but i also have to have some due diligence around monitoring and saying okay but you know, Adam is supposed to be over here using this server, and Adam is supposed to be logging in from London. Uh, you know, why is Adam logging in from Tel Aviv and accessing this other server? You mm-hmm. know, those those types of things. Where you know, it, so it's not it's not that you're looking for an outsider; it's that you're looking for an insider who's doing strange things.
1: Yeah, or 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 a an outsider that's masquerading, of course, as an insider. Um, that's what I mean. Yes, yeah. But, but but from your perspective it's
0: a, it's an insider who's doing things you it's don't hear, right
1: yeah mm. no, and I, I think and again there's you know there's loads there isn't there because okay so the world has got more complicated the, the, the other dimension i would give it right is that back in the day organ it shops organizations and, and it functions within organizations would build and operate infrastructures, applications, server estates, you know, uh, um, standard operating environments, remember that? You know, like, and so they would do these things and provide it internally. Now, they, to pretty much stitch together services they receive from others to create the holistic infrastructure and so that you know that that blows trust wide open not only then is there no longer an inside or an outside but also the way that you build and consume it services is significantly changed you know you're stitching together rather than building your own so there's an extension of trust to those that are providing those but but the accountability to own the risk hasn't shifted. You are still responsible for the security and safety of your data, and the state and, and the stakes have got higher as you think about you know things like GDPR, for example. Um, you know the responsibility is increased for you to be able to do that. So what what I would say though is you know that all sounds unassailably difficult, and it is. It's harder than it used to be. The world is more complex. In that in that in that domain than it once was. However, there are still there's some really interesting principles, some, some that have changed, some that remain the same. One of the principles that remains the same is context matters. You know, it, it doesn't matter like what data points you use, we need to use context to be able to triangulate those to make informed decisions. So that's really, you know, you gave the example of if I'm logging in on London for you know one minute and then 10 minutes later I'm logging in from LA. That context is, you know, is in is instructive, is intelligence, and we can use that to make informed decisions. So that, that's an interesting dimension, which is, which is consistent. A, 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 a kind of idiom, which I think has changed a lot, is we used to use the phrase trust but verify. You know, if you're on the inside, we trust you, but let's just verify that you are who you say you are, you haven't got admin privileges, etc. That's massively changed a lot. You know, and and, and you you hear the phrase as it relates to zero trust being never trust, always verify. I, I actually feel personally, I think that's quite an extreme way of stating things because there is there has to be some degrees of trust within an organization. But that trust has to be earned. You know, it's not given as freely, perhaps as it once was and and i think you know this is also the third dimension i would bring in here is around risk risk cannot be eradicated completely unless you wish to not pursue any gains whatsoever. You know, like we we take risks in the pursuit of gains, but it's about getting that equation right. If the gains are big enough and the risks are commensurate with those rewards, then we'll pursue them. Of course, we'll try and mitigate and reduce those risks to an acceptable uh, level. But, you know, we do, we do want to pursue those gains as well. So it's that balance between those two pieces, which I think is also extremely important here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I feel like, you know, so, you know, zero zero trust as a concept has been around for, you know, years and, mm-hmm. and it, it has, it, it was already, it had some momentum. It was gaining traction. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was you know, a, a technology and a concept that companies were getting on board with. And then 2020 happened mm-hmm. and we had, you know, the whole world went into, you know, COVID-19 pandemic lockdown um, and everyone was working remotely. And like a lot of things about digital transformation, all of a sudden, zero trust and ZTNA like skyrocketed in 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 uh, relevance and importance. Yeah. To companies.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And because I think you know, organizations needed to run their operations, but with a very different way of connecting their staff to information, of course and i think you know more rigid infrastructures like vpn for example you know i mean vpn there there was growth in that market as a result of COVID, but there was significantly more growth in more flexible mechanisms for connecting people with applications, wherever those people or applications may be. So absolutely that kind of cloud gateway model really seemed to take off uh, during COVID because of the flexibility and security offered and because zero trust was kind of baked in, whereas VPN is perhaps a more inside outside trust, don't trust, binary model for, for the past and less flexible and elastic than the models that organizations are looking for today
0: yeah well because i feel like even even though we've said for i don't know a decade that you know the perimeter is dead the perimeter is dying some variation on you know that that theme until covid I feel like a lot of organizations could still, they still maintain like this facade of a perimeter. There was still sort of this, this unspoken, okay, but you are sitting in my office building. And so, you know, I, I kind of have an idea of what's going on. And, and, and again, the, the trend was already heading in that direction, but, but COVID made it kind of an overnight, you know, just complete sea change of now there is no. Not only is there no like inside or outside, there there basically is no network. i mean, the 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 internet itself is your company infrastructure. Mm. And, and every single person, every single endpoint is its own perimeter. Mm. and that and that you know changes the way you have to 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 approach security. It changes the and and I think you know again, lend lends more credibility to the idea of, Zero trust and, and kind of the premise of, you know, the, like, like you said, it's kind of extreme, but the but the never trust always verify. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I, 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 you know, because, because you're connecting from home and I don't have any control over your home network, I don't even know what IP address range you're going to be connecting from. So I can't really confer the same sort of inherent trust that I might have if you were sitting in my office building. Yeah,
1: that's right. And I, and I think it, it, we, we used to call it deperimeterization, which is a horrific word, but there's another one for the vocabulary. But it, I think it's, um, you know, it, it's also then it's about taking a more data-centric approach as well, because if you can no longer think, if you no longer control the network over which these the, the, the data flows, what you can monitor and what you can uh, uh, verify is the data itself. And then you can think about the users that are getting access to it, verifying them, looking at the devices they're connecting on, verifying them. So you are able to build up a picture, even if some elements of that picture are beyond your control. And I think some of that is, you know, some of that is just natural evolution and innovation as well. I bring you back to the firewall example of where we used to talk about inside and outside, and it was you know port based port 80 for the internet, and then we figured out well, hang on, bad stuff is coming in through the internet on port 80, and therefore we need to be even more granular, and that gave rise to the next gen firewall of understanding it at a more granular level those controls, and 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 so you know it's still data and it's still context. But it's more granular and richer than it's been in the past, and I think you know that's what we see uh, with zero trust as well. But I think the important thing about zero trust, in my opinion, is when we talk about securities, there's so much talk about threats, threat-centric security, and that's really important. You know, are we are we monitoring? Are we defending? Are we predicting threats coming into the network and into the environment, trying to exfiltrate or or encrypt data? But we also need to take a data centric view to it as well. What is that data? What is the risk around that data? How does that data normally behave? And what are the demands on that data in a normal functioning world? Who are the people who have access to it? You know, you can then start to think about least privilege access rather than, you know, most privilege access or binary privilege access. And, and we can, you know, start to put more granular controls in place from that perspective. But putting the data at the centre of a strategy, I think, is also a core part of it.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I mean, I I had even said uh, a number of years back that, uh, you know, kind of when 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 the hot thing was mobile device management and and mobile device security, you know. So I don't know, 2010-ish. Yeah. And at the time, I, 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 my 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 philosophy was, okay, but ultimately, you don't really care as 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 my employer. You don't really care about protecting this device per se. You care about protecting your data that might be on this yeah. device. Yeah. And 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 I and I think that that you know having that data centric perspective, I think not only not only helps you be more secure, but it also helps you reduce some of the stress and anxiety about being secure because it's mm-hmm. like it, I think it's a lot easier to kind of focus on okay, well, how can I just protect the date the data. That's um, right. You know, and, and yeah, we-,
1: we 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 use the phrase "protect what matters," which is that's exactly what you're talking about there. I, I also think you know we've we've, stu- we've touched on endpoints a lot today, but bit, but the other thing for us to think about is you know there's also a lot of data flows cloud to cloud. You know, if you're in a an application like we're using today, whether it's Teams or Zoom or or whatever else. You know those themselves have cloud plugins they aren't owned by the vendors who provide those collaboration applications there might be storage we're using off the back of that and so that opens up a whole another set of complexities around how the data moves between different applications without there being an endpoint involved in that and of course again that's where we need to start to to to, to have a data-centric approach to that but also to think beyond the infrastructure and think about, you know, we used to talk about the triangle, didn't we? People, process and technology. I think that's where that comes in a lot as well. Because if we're looking when you think about zero trust, it's not just about the infrastructures um, that we that we think about securing. It's not just about the data that transverses uh, that infrastructure. There is also the processes, the policies, the people uh, that interact with that as well, and how we apply zero trust in that domain. How we apply zero trust in a partner domain. Of course, we've seen a lot of supply chain attacks uh, yeah. as well. You know, how, so so for me, zero trust is also a, a broader philosophy that we can think about across you know, those dimensions too. On the people side, for example, it's not that we don't trust people, but there's this thing called human error. I know there are things that we can do to augment humankind with good technology to mitigate the risks created by human error. For example, you know, um, a, a kind of infrastructure as a service is a really dynamic infrastructure. It's very easy for anybody to stand up an S3 bucket in the developer community. How do we ensure that we have capabilities that, as that happens, we're securing it real time without the need for human interaction, which simply couldn't operate at the scale and pace necessary to do that anyway? So, how do we augment? humans with right policy, right capabilities so that as that dynamic world keeps changing and data goes and in and out of those types of storage facilities that we know that we can trust, or we, at least we know that we are securing them so that we don't have to trust them.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, when you mentioned the the cloud to cloud, I think it's it, it is worth talking about the fact that you know, we talk. You know, you know I'm. I I made the whole example of you know you logging in from Tel Aviv or you logging in from LA, and 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 there's sort of that that user centric perspective on on security. But that does uh, kind of miss the mark on the fact that in a lot of networks, the device device the the device to device communication or the things that are going on on the back end between machines. Yeah, is significantly more like the users are just the tip of the iceberg, the iceberg. and there's stuff going on underneath mm. um and you know and and, it, and it's those interactions uh, you know like you say with the supply chain attacks it's like i don't i don't necessarily need to compromise you i can compromise you know some some other network that you trust you know and and so you know zero trust definitely plays a role there too in terms of saying okay yes you know acme company is a supplier to us and we have a connection to their network and you know it facilitates these these interactions but we still have to pay attention to what's going on there and mm-hmm. and, and and you know look for things uh, that that seem suspicious or you know and and verify that that uh you know they that those connections are doing what we think they should be doing
1: yeah and, and as you said that's a high volume Body of traffic, right? High, you know, high creation, high volume of, of traffic movement as well. So, you know, again, that that then comes back to well, you know, humankind have a role to play, but you know, it, it, there's simply not enough talent. I mean, we all know there's labour shortage in the cyber domain as it stands today. I mean, last I checked, it was like four million roles that couldn't be filled. You know, it's a huge uh, uh, deficit of talent based uh, versus demand. Uh, and even if there was enough people, could they could they scale to that? No, they couldn't. So it's about having systems in place that can operate at the scale with humans playing high value intellectual work on top of it as well. So we think about you know automation orchestration become really powerful components of again that overall architecture that we've spoken about a little bit today.
0: All right. Um, so let me ask you this: you know and dealing with customers and you know, talking to and talking to a, a company about you know going from what they have and adopting a zero trust uh, you know uh, mindset and and implementing ZTNA are there are there existing uh, cybersecurity technologies that ZTNA specifically complements or replaces like are there are there things like where you're going you go in and say you know what now that you have this you don't really need that anymore
1: yeah, I mean, again, I see ZTNA is a is a subset of, of zero trust. You know, ZTNA, in my opinion, is obviously an access technology. That's what the A stands for. Um, and so, I, I I do see that as a more flexible, elastic mechanism versus perhaps you know rigid you know, hardware-based VPN infrastructure. So I certainly see an evolutionary step there towards a more cloud-centric, more scalable, uh, more flexible model. Uh, but as I think more broadly about Zero Trust, you know, with just as one small component of it, you know, when, when I talk to clients, I, I, it, for me, it becomes about the pace of their evolution. I talk to I talk to clients a lot about pace. You know, um, we we talk about go at your pace, or you go as fast or as slow as you want, but make sure you have the controls to be able to genuinely have visibility to control at the pace you need to. Um, and so, when we think about their evolution, for me, it's about how much, how, it, it, how do they want to expand into more untrusted. Kind of domains, and at what pace do they do that? Because is they perhaps if they go full full into the cloud, not lift and shift, but fully into the cloud with containers and you know IaaS and PaaS and you know uh, full SaaS sanctioned, unsanctioned SaaS. There's a lot of complexity there, um, and there's a that's a massive you know trust domain for them to to manage. Whereas if they perhaps try and go, you know, at a more gradual pace, and we see a lot of that in Europe, for example, based on the regulatory domains that we're in, um, you, then you know, it gives them a smaller trust surface that they need to manage, or it's an untrusted surface that they need to manage. Uh, and so, for me, it's about looking at the infrastructure: like how, how much, you know, how broad is the domain that you're trying to protect? How and and how can you scale to manage the the lack of trust that you have in that um so i think you know th- there's that there's that piece around the expansion of their architecture over time not seeing it as a big drop ship right now this is our infrastructure equally not being in denial about what it is because a lot of organizations feel they're not using cloud or they don't have certain devices connecting when they do they just lack visibility to it so just being aware of how big that surface is how you need to manage it, and which pieces you want to expand into new domains, manage the lack of trust in there, but get the benefits that you're pursuing as you do so.
0: Okay, makes sense. um Are there, you know, I, I don't know if you're much of a, a a reader, uh but you know, are there are there you know books or resources that you would recommend for someone who's trying to understand more about this, I and mean, they can be you know, McAfee white papers or whatever. Do you, do you know, what? I,
1: I am a reader, uh, but I don't, I only read fiction. So, and I'm reading Neuromancer at the moment, which, by the way, is a great uh, cybersecurity uh, book. William Gibson is a it's a it's a predecessor it gave rise to the term cybersecurity and uh, to the film the matrix as well but anyway that's neither here nor there. Uh, there, there there's some great white papers from McAfee we've got a really strong white paper and, and and by the way you know it's a white paper not a bloody data sheet it doesn't say you know zero trust equals McAfee or zero trust equals this feature or zero trust equals ZTNA you know, it's really a kind of position. Of course, it talks about how we can help clients, but the bulk of the document talks about, you know, what is zero trust? What are some of the principles that you need to consider as you stand it up? You know, we talk in there about data centric, uh, data centric uh, uh, protection. We talk about understanding data flows. We talk about context. We talk about continuous authentication. You know, all of those principles, so that you are not accidentally trusting but have checks and balances in all the way along the way leveraging intelligence and visibility there's some really good stuff in there around some founding principles
0: okay um all right yeah i was gonna say i don't think i've read that one i i i I, when i read fiction i tend to read uh dan brown so i mean okay yeah angels and demons yeah
1: I haven't, I haven't read. I haven't read Angels Duty, but Everyone's read *Da Vinci Code*. I think you have to read *Da Vinci Code*, don't you? So uh, I am compliant.
0: Yes, I have. Uh, I have *Origin*, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you know, I think it's, it's good. Good stuff. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to actually read. Uh, read a little bit more. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if you did. Did you know that they're doing a uh, *Matrix* four? Is that right? They're working out and I have no idea what the storyline's gonna be. Oh, I'm like, man, I don't
1: know. Like, I love the Matrix. Oh, and then it sort of tapered off after the first one. So man. hopefully it's a kind of hockey stick at the end there.
0: Based on based on where the, the, the third movie ended, I'm not sure where you go from there. Yeah. So it okay. should be interesting, but uh you
1: know. Maybe maybe they reboot the matrix and start again.
0: Well, I mean that would be okay too uh, on some level. I mean, you know, the, the, you, you we can get into a philosophical debate about you know rebooting uh, classics, but <laughs> uh, that that might be okay. But yeah, but as far as I know, this is actually a, a, a Matrix Four. Yeah, uh, re- no, but I
1: mean, actually rebooting the computers that are the Matrix as opposed to just rebooting the franchise.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's one one option. Um. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting stuff. Um, as we sort of, you know, uh, we we can start to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you know, things are you know sort of returning to normal. Like, uh, how how are things there for you? And what what are you looking forward to most? Like, what do you what have you what have you missed from being on lockdown for the past year?
1: Um, I do you know what. Like personally, you mean? Yeah. yeah i've i've missed i've didn't i've missed seeing people in person you know like because because we all tried. you know zoom escape rooms or zoom fun but it was basically like trying to have fun whilst being at work still and and so it, and so it felt like an elongated day at work in a sense. Every time I was on Zoom, it was for me synonymous with being at work because I just do so many, you know, team schools and so on. And so I'm looking forward to seeing people in person. Um, I'm looking forward to traveling again. Travel's a massive one. I really, really miss that. Um, so looking forward to uh, to travel. I mean, I, I will say like it it gave the planet a breather All the, you know, the lack of commuting and the lack of air travel, you know, so I, I kind of, you know i'm hopeful that as we come back into um whatever the the next normal looks like that that we gain some balance from this because it's been brilliant like having breakfast with my kids every day um and i sort of will miss that if i'm not doing it but equally you know if we can find balance so it's not all the way back into the office or on an aircraft every two weeks like i was you know it's i i, I would like that balance but at the moment it's more imbalanced on just being as you said locked down, so looking forward to balance.
0: Yeah, and there's a little bit of uh, yeah. I feel like it, over the past year, most of the companies I talked to seemed like they were totally on board with like, yeah, this is this is cool. We're still productive. People are are able to kind of you know do their thing, and so we'll probably keep this you know going forward. Now that we're kind of starting to come out of it, I'm seeing you know some of those companies kind of walk it back and be like, well, no, we actually want you to come into the office again, and it's starting yeah. to cause some friction for some yeah. for with with employees, I mm. saw someone post on Twitter or LinkedIn a thing that I, I I completely agree with, which was saying, look, we've now gone through this, and on the one hand, it's fair to say that this has not been a valid experiment or a valid measure of, okay, what does fully remote work look like, because it was under duress. It, was, mm. it, it mm. wasn't choice. And so, you know, so I do think you have to kind of come back to quote unquote normal and start to kind of feel that out and say, okay, mm. well, you know, m- maybe Adam likes going to the office, you mm. know, and Tony likes working from home. Um, and what should really matter is just the end product. What should matter yeah. is the job getting done. Uh, and and are you are you accomplishing what you should? But the thing that I saw that someone shared on on, on, on Twitter or LinkedIn was you know, saying, look, employers, you know, s- recognize that, you know, maybe, maybe Adam does better, uh, sleeping in until 10 AM and you're working from, you know, noon to, to 9 PM, mm. uh, you know, maybe, you know, like you said, having breakfast with your kids, you know, so, so in terms of work life balance, you like, maybe it's good to give people the flexibility of waking up and having breakfast with their kids instead of rushing out the door or having the flexibility to make a doctor's appointment
1: yeah and and that's that's
0: really from the company
1: that's really on message with our discussion today because what is that about trust you know why don't we allow people to work in that way because we don't trust them to we may call it something else and we may refer to it as a different reason but it's we don't trust them to. and so as we think about How like the the notion of productivity I find really I've been reading a lot about that recently around people are more productive, but I I think what I what I see is that people are working more, not necessarily more productive. Productive is they are producing something which is impactful as opposed to having spending more time at work. Do you know what right. I mean? And so I see productivity maybe slightly differently because it, there is only so much you can optimize productivity before you burn out. And I do think we see a bit of burnout from uh, from the lockdown working uh, methodology, frankly, um, or the working environment maybe is a better way of putting it. Um, and so then as we do come back, you know I think if we can find ways to provide enough flexibility whenever they be everything to all people, you know but as long as we can get 80% of our people working in a way that, that is good for them, I think that's a pretty good start. I think it offers opportunities as well like real estate, for example, is an interesting opportunity because it's been quite a, a large item on the Opex line but fairly static in its utilization because overnight, you got no one in during the day. You have loads of people on a Monday and nobody on a Friday. Do you know what I mean? And so thinking about how we use things differently for different outcomes. Yup.
0: Uh, you know, we, you talk You mentioned the 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 cybersecurity talent shortage. Um, it opens up employment. Hmm. If you, you know, like, I've I've I have interviewed with companies many times over the years uh, from Silicon Valley and who've said, okay, well, you know, you know, we we get all the way through the interview process, all the way through. What would my salary requirements be? And then they say, okay, well, we need you to relocate here. I'm like. Oh, well, then we need to go back to that salary requirements conversation, mm. <laughs> because if you want me to live in San Francisco, uh, yes. you have to pay me twice as much. That changes that, yeah. the dynamic completely. Yeah. And if, if you're a company, whether you're in Silicon Valley or you're in Miami, Florida, or you're in St. Louis, Missouri, um, if you have the ability to open up your employment opportunity and say i don't care if you're working out of a, a you know your your closet in montana mm-hmm. as long as you connect to the network and get your work done mm-hmm. because not only not only are you opening up the talent pool but from the, the you also are changing the salary dynamic yeah I don't need Absolutely. To, like it, it is relative to the cost of living for the area. I mean, if I if I want to hire someone in in San Francisco, that's going to cost me more than hiring that same person in Montana.
1: Mm. Now, that's exactly right. And that has all sorts of implications, I think, doesn't it as well there? Are, you know, if we're able to unlock different types of talent um, at different costs, you know, that there, there are some other impediments that we need to overcome around you know uh, unconscious bias and things like that you know do I think part-time work people are working hard enough or you know all manner of different unconscious bias there that we need to think about but but I think there's this huge opportunity in that it, you know un- unlocking talent it reminds me a little bit of what we call the gig economy now, where people do work you know, in in small increments. Do you know what I mean? I can be an Uber driver for an hour or 10 hours, whatever, you know, because I have that time to commit. Now, maybe that's a very extreme version of what we're talking about that we may never get to, because it may not make sense for organizations, but you start to think about you know, work in, in that way. The, the other phrase we used to use a long time ago was work is an activity not a place which is exactly what you're talking about there as well
0: right well and and it's funny because you know we especially in 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 the united states where as this badge of honor of you know i've never i've never missed a day of work ever you know Mm. being sick or i you know it's been two years since i've taken a vacation or you know i have seven hours of back-to-back zoom meetings scheduled yeah yeah there's some like machismo
1: to that. it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Right. I'm
0: a, I'm a, I'm a stronger, better worker because of that. It's like, no, you're, 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 you're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: You're inefficient.
0: Right. It's like, don't, don't do that. It's bad. It's bad for you. It's bad for the company. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I just shared this thing, and I've seen it before, but I just shared it the other day, uh, which is, a, a, you know, sort of funny, except for not funny because it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, difference between, like. Paid time off, vacation in the United States versus Europe, and it said, you know, it said something like, you know, you know, European out of office message is, you know, gone for the summer, you know, camping, be back, you know, email me in September. Yeah. And and in the United States, it's, I'm going to be out for two hours having uh, my my kidney taken out, but I'll still be available by cell phone.
1: (laughs) Sad but true.
0: And it's just yeah, I mean, it's like va- vacation is seen as a as a weakness in the United States. If you like, if you if you need to take time off, then you know, then then you're not you're not doing your job.
1: And, do you know what? Like, and and on that point, i started seeing a lot of posts on on LinkedIn with people, you know, taking a photo of their workstation with some beautiful, you know, like the mountains or you know the beach or whatever in, in the in the middle distance, and and you know, it, it kind of. It, that this kind of remote working allows flexibility to be able to do that, right? And and I don't care where you are or what your view is. The, the better the view, the happier you are, the more committed you are. All good for me. You know, and so the more we can allow that. Now, you know, as we come back to the new normal, yeah, people are going to have to interact. I think the creativity between humankind is suffered a little bit. It seems to be where we bounce ideas off each other in the pursuit of creativity, whether that's business ideas or, you know, strategy. Strategies or arts or whatever, um, you know that that seems to be the piece which is suffered through our, the, the, the screen-based interaction. But beyond that, you know, I think flexibility is a positive thing. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a, a, a fair place to wrap up. I mean, I, I, I am I am uh, also looking forward to, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to travel. I'm looking forward to concerts. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah see a live performance. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and just yeah, they're just it's it's kind of the the little things, but uh, but
1: where, where where would be the first place you'd want to travel to upon uh, you know the the freedom you're then afforded?
0: Um, well, I mean, I already have a business trip coming up uh, to to Boston. That would not have been my first choice.
1: Uh, that's, that's business. Apart from that, sort of personal, more interesting um, one.
0: Let's see. Uh, if I could travel anywhere, I would probably go back to Vietnam. I haven't been to Vietnam in 14 years. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so I'd like to get back there. I'd actually, kind of, I'd, I'd like to get back to England. I haven't been back to, I, I haven't been to, uh, you know, I left England in 1992. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, uh, RAF upper Hayford, where I was stationed, yeah. it's, it, it, the, the, the doesn't exist anymore. It's all overgrown and, mm. you know, and and stuff but but and and the uh the pub at the end of the base that we used to hang out at uh the the, the, the three horseshoes i'm pretty sure that 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 doesn't exist anymore but you know it, it would be
1: it would be interesting to get back there and, and kind of come back over there's plenty of pubs to choose from as well maybe not that one maybe not the three horseshoes but there'll be another one somewhere but uh lots of pubs to choose from absolutely so
0: all right well thank you very much for taking the time
1: awesome my pleasure good to spend some time with you and uh, appreciate it
0: i appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast but i also invite you to engage on social media Uh, please go like our facebook page and follow at techspective on twitter and instagram you can feel free to let me know what you like let me know what you don't like let me know if you love it let me know if it sucks and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.